We want our children to have the best chance to live fulfilling lives. But can you keep up with all the books and scientific research on parenting and fit the information into your own philosophy on how to raise kids? Welcome to Your Parenting Mojo, the podcast that does the work for you by investigating and examining respectful, research-based parenting tools to help kids thrive. Now, welcome your host, Jen Lumenlon. Welcome to today's episode of the Your Parenting Mojo podcast. You might recall that we did an episode a while back on manners and what the research says about teaching manners and how what the research says about teaching manners comes from the assumption that manners must be explicitly taught, that your child will not learn to say thank you unless you tell your child say thank you every time someone gives them a gift. We also talked about how parent educator Robin Einzig uses the concept of modeling graciousness and that if you treat other people graciously, when your child is ready, she will be gracious as well. The problem here, of course, is that most people expect your child to display some kind of manners before they're developmentally ready to really understand the concept behind it. Recently, I saw an article from the University of California, Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center about the development of gratitude, and I saw it quoted Professor Jonathan Tudge, who has actually edited a very recent book of research called Developing Gratitude in Children and Adolescents, and I knew we'd found the right person to speak with about this. Professor Tudge, who goes by John, works in the Department of Human Development and Family Studies at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, although you will hear from his accent in a minute that he's perhaps not native to that part of the world. And most of his research focuses on the interrelations between the social world and children's social, moral, and cognitive development. He draws heavily on the ideas of Lev Vygotsky and Yuri Bronfenbrenner, both of whom are practically old friends of our regular listeners by now, which means he's interested in how social relationships shape development and in observing children in the wild, as it were, rather than in lab situations. Welcome, John. Welcome, Jen. Thanks. Thank you. So let's start with a easy question. (laughs) (laughs) What is gratitude? How do you define it? Yeah, it's not terribly easy, is it? No, it's not. (laughs) No. Um, I think there are three aspects to a definition of gratitude. First of all, there has to be a benefactor, someone who's given something that's really nice or who's helped in some nice way. And second, beneficiary, the person that's received that, has to appreciate uh, the good intention of the benefactor and feel good about that person and about what's being done. And third... I think this is the most important part, has to be interested, really interested, has to want to, desire to reciprocate in some way if there's an appropriate opportunity. So there are three different parts to what I think is a a good definition of the word. Okay. Yeah. And so that sort of leads me to think that we're going to struggle with this in very young children. (laughs) Uh, Yes, we are. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, they're not going to be grateful. They're not. They're not. So they're not. They're not going to be grateful. What we have to be doing, I think, is to try to think about ways in which we can best enable them over time 
to become the sort of grateful individuals mm. we like them to be. Yeah. And even adults, I think, struggle with this. And I have struggled with this over the years and only probably in the last maybe five to 10 years or so have become more cognizant of the fact that when I do someone a favor, when I do something for them, it matters more that the favor, you know, it might be a very small favor, but if it's something that the other person wants, that's much better than something that I might perceive as being a really big deal and doing that for that person. If it's not something the person really valued in the first place. That's right. Although I have to say, you know, if you try to do something that you think is going to be really nice for that mm. person, I think that person ought to be grateful anyway, even oh, if really? the thing that you're trying to <laughs> sure, because your intention was to do something nice for that person, right? Uh -huh. So I think intentions do matter. Okay. And that's another reason why you, you can't expect too much of children, because it's hard for children to understand exactly what someone else's intention is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. So you have a very specific definition of gratitude. And I think that from what I've read in your research and the research of others, that can create problems when you try and measure gratitude, because it seems as though all the tools that are used to measure it are looking at much more general concepts about how thankful is the child for being able to watch a sunset or <laughs> for having exactly. having things in their lives and that kind of thing. How does all that fit together? Yeah, it doesn't fit very well at all. Mm. That I think that what most people who say they're measuring gratitude are in fact measuring is appreciation, which mm. is a different concept. It's much broader. I have no problem with any of those scales being a really good way of measuring how appreciative we are of all sorts of things, whether it's, like you say, a beautiful sunset or the fact that it's finally stopped thundering and lightning here where <laughs> I am, or the fact that... Um, you know, I live in a nice apartment here and I'm so much better off than anybody else. So I can appreciate all those sorts of things. I can appreciate the fact that I've reached the grand old age of 69 and I'm very healthy. I mean, so many things. And that has almost nothing to do with gratitude. Mm. And that's specifically because nobody else is responsible for that, right? There's no benefactor that bestowed that on you. There's no benefactor. Unless you have a particular world belief. <laughs> well, yeah, you might. But even then, that's not enough, I think. So mm. if I think that all of this is, you know, for example, God-given, which yeah. I might, but still, if I don't reciprocate in some way, just accept these things as my good fortune, my good luck, whatever, but don't try and do anything to reciprocate, I'm not being grateful. Mm. And I think that notion of trying to reciprocate, if at all possible you know, when it's appropriate to do so, is really important. So, for example, if the sun were shining at the end of the day, beautiful sunset, and I don't appreciate it, people would never accuse me of being ungrateful. <laughs> you know, that would be stupid, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, they might say he's unappreciative, mm -hmm. or, you know, I have a nice meal and I just wolf it down. You would never say I'm ungrateful for that meal. I was un unappreciative of it. Mm -hmm. You might say I'm ungrateful to the person who has taken the time to cook it for me. But that's because gratitude is towards another person. Right. And if someone has done something nice for me, I don't think it matters terribly much, you know, how warm and fuzzy I feel, you know, a good emotional response to that, that wonderful meal or that kind act. That's great. It's nice. It feels good for me. Mm -hmm. But if I have the chance to do something for that person when that person needs it, and I don't do any, anything, it doesn't matter how, you know, warmly, fuzzy, emotionally appreciative I was, I'm still an ungrateful jerk because I didn't help when I had the chance to do so. 
So I think you really got to distinguish between those two things, between appreciation and gratitude. And if you're talking about gratitude, you can't ignore ungrateful ingratitude. Okay. So that makes me wonder then how critical is the other person's need in reciprocating that gratitude? If you never see the person have a need, or is that just a completely unrealistic scenario? People are always going to have a need that you could potentially come in and fulfill. No, I don't think so. I think there are oftentimes people do things for you and you never have a chance to mm. reciprocate. And that does not make you an ungrateful person. You know, we can't always do it. Mm-hmm. And even if, you know, let's say it's pouring with rain. You can tell what's been going on here the last couple of days. <laughs> um, it's pouring with rain. You've really helped me. And I'm driving along in my little sports car. I don't actually have a sports car, but let's see, I do. Um, and you're stuck there by the side of the road. Should I pick you up? Well, of course I should if I'm a grateful person. But it so happens that right next to you is a heavily pregnant young woman who's just about to give birth and needs to get to the hospital. I ignore you, pick her up, mm. and take – You know, no one would say I'm ungrateful in that circumstance. Mm. There are some situations in which we can't actually reciprocate and there's sometimes when we can reciprocate, but we still don't actually do so for valid reasons. When we call someone ungrateful, it's because they typically, when they have a relevant opportunity to reciprocate to someone that's really done something nice for them, they don't do that. Okay. And I don't care how emotionally warm they felt when they got the benefit. <laughs> If they don't try and help when they have a chance, they're not grateful. Okay. It's that simple. All right. So then I think you've partially answered the question that is on all parents' minds, uh, which is, is the act of saying thank you gratitude? (laughs) Well, that's a really interesting question, isn't it? Because I'm going to call it gratitude, but I think there are different types of gratitude. And when you're talking about a young child, you know, the mere fact of saying and meaning it, oh, thank you, Auntie Jen, for giving me that, mm-hmm. you know, is appropriate at that age. You know, but if all we ever do is say thank you as adults and never try to reciprocate, I think that's not enough. So I think we've got to think about not just gratitude as some generic thing but rather as different types of gratitude that people can express. And, you know, thank you is the simplest form. It is, it's easily confused with just politeness. Mm. It doesn't have anything to do necessarily with gratitude, but it could. I mean, if you do something for me and I immediately say, oh, Jen, thank you so much. I mean, that that was just absolutely wonderful what you just done for me. If ever I find a way to repay you, I'll certainly try and do that. That sounds to me like an expression of gratitude, mm-hmm. right? So it's not ungrateful behavior, but we, I think we can do more. And the more is that notion of reciprocation. So okay. for young children, that, that, you know, saying thank you is not a bad thing at all. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so then let's dig into that a little bit, because just the getting the child to say thank you can be problematic. Right. And so as we talked about in our episode on manners, the research basically concludes you have to do this. And so what I am interested in is understanding, does this hurt or does it help? So 
different researchers looked at whether parents will say, say thank you to your child, or some parents will say, what do you say? With <laughs> There's only yeah, really one response right. there. And I've sort of gone down a bit of a different tack in which when somebody gives my daughter a gift, I give her a minute and most of the time she doesn't say thank you. And I say, I really give a heartfelt thank you to the person who gave her the gift and from me to the benefactor mm -hmm. in the hopes that that will model gratitude for my daughter yes. while also yes. satisfying the benefactor's need for an acknowledgement. And it seems to make the benefactor slightly uneasy in that they're expecting it to come from my daughter and not from me. <laughs> right, <laughs> but right. am I doing something that's helping my daughter here or am I totally messing it up? Oh, you're totally messing it up. No, no. <laughs> I'll take that back. I'm out. <laughs> no, <it>. no. <laughs> you're doing absolutely the right thing. Oh, okay. Because I think, I mean, I wouldn't say that all development is about imitating what one's elders and betters do, because it's clearly not. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, if children never see appropriate behavior and actions be modeled in any way, what reason have they got for doing those same things? So I think modeling is a helpful thing to do. I think it's also helpful to explain to a child you know, why you just said thank you. Mm. And But there's a lot more that can be done. For a start, I would typically try and avoid concentrating on, for example, if it's a gift, I would avoid concentrating on the gift. Mm. I mean, thank you for a wonderful gift. I would say, oh, thank you, you know, Aunt Jen, that was just a wonderful thing that you did or wonderful, how nice of you to have got that. You know, trying to focus more on the person that has provided the gift rather than on the gift itself. Mm -hmm. I also would, uh, whenever my child does something nice for me, do the same thing to her, you know, thank her for what she's done. Mm -hmm. Again, focusing on her rather than the thing itself. And ask her how she feels when I say that. Does it make her feel good? You know, and you, know, you can tell her then. Well, that's how Auntie Jen will feel. I better use Auntie Sue, wouldn't they, in your case? Mm -hmm. uh, that's how Auntie Sue will feel if you say thank you to her because she's done something really nice for you and it'll make her feel good. I mean, so I think even before children really going to understand that, it's worth starting. Mm -hmm. What is not worth doing is just simply you know, forcing a child to say thank you before they have any idea what it means or why it should be used, particularly if you rarely do it yourself. That is, say thank you, you know? Uh, yeah. Because I think do what I say, not what I do, never works. Right. Yeah. And it's hard to admit this, but you and I come from a part of the world where manners are considered very important. <laughs> and so right. I do say please and thank you. And when I actually did a call for questions on this for the, the episode on manners, uh, somebody responded, you should take a look at your own practices. And because if you're not saying please and thank you, that's probably why your child is not. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah. but I really do. Yeah. From the youngest yeah. age, when she's handed something to me, I've said thank you. If she, if she sets the table, I'll say thank you so much. I really appreciate that you saved me the time and that I didn't have to do that. But I have not gone that one step further and asked her how that makes her feel. And I wonder if that's sort of a missing link for me because right now she doesn't regularly say please or thank you. How old is she? She's almost four. Four. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's no particular age at which they're going to start saying it. No. But, you know, eventually... I mean, you don't really don't care too much age four whether they do or not. But other people do. <laughs> yeah, they do. But you're going to care a lot if you said it meaningfully age seven. Yes. 
And I think that's what's important. How do you get a child to do something that is meaningful for that child at a later age when they're not doing it currently? And I think that trying to force the issue is not really the way to go. Saying it for them is probably good. Explaining to them why you think they ought to say it is good. Eventually, they'll do so. Mm-hmm. No. And there's a question of you know, practice. It's like any skill. I think gratitude is a skill that we all should be trying to work on ourselves and help to encourage in our children. And as such, it just takes practice, 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 practice. Yeah. I noticed that in your book, actually, the statement that ethicists say that we have to engage in that practice of a virtue to really acquire the virtue. And is is that just day-to-day situations or should I be actively looking for situations where I can demonstrate gratitude? I think it's day-to-day. I think it's what we do on a regular basis. So there, there are so many opportunities, you know, People are helping us all the time with uh, with luck. We can help others. We can help our children. We hope that they help us. There are so many opportunities to allow this to be a regular practice in our lives. We can, of course, go further. For example, there are some people that have studied the problem of entitlement, you know, this is obviously with older kids, adolescents, who, you know, particularly those that come from well-off families, they seem to think that just everything is theirs by due. And then parents, some parents, go out of their way to put their kids into situations where they see other people have not such a good life, uh, worse off than they are, and you know, to try and find a way to give back to those people. I mean, that seems to me the sort of putting your child in a certain situation so that they will learn a certain sort of skill. Mm-hmm. But I don't really think that's necessary with regular gratitude, which, uh, you know, there's so many opportunities, you know, to say, to feel, to express, to encourage. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to dig into it a little bit about the development that happens in children's brains over this period, because you said a minute ago that we wouldn't necessarily expect a four-year-old to say thank you on a regular basis, but our goal is more for the six or seven-year-old to really express genuine gratitude. And I wonder can you talk a little bit about some of the shifts that happen in a child's brain over over that time? I'm thinking about things like theory of mind and, and right. ability to focus yeah. on the future rather than seeing things just right now, <laughs> those kinds of right, things. Right. I think that there are a couple of things that are really important about gratitude. Now, I said earlier on that understanding that the other person's intention. Did this person intend to do something that was nice for me. Okay, so perhaps it wasn't what I really wanted, but I can see that that person was actually trying to think about me and what I would like. They just messed up. I mean, that requires an awful lot of cognitive development Hmm. before children can understand that level of understanding of somebody else's way of thinking. You know, a parent gets a child to give you something. It's obvious that the kid himself didn't want to, but his mother forced him to. Uh Should you feel grateful to that child? Mm. No, to the mother. Or to the mother? (laughs) Of course. So we can see that so obviously, but it takes a lot of thinking ability on the part of children to get that. One of my friends does research in which she talks about a particular sort of situation, for example, where a schoolmate puts 
the protagonist in a situation where that person really does not want to be. It's supposedly done for nice reasons, but it's in fact done for nasty reasons. You know that this kid is going to be really upset having to go on stage and give a short speech. And yet you've put them in that position to sort of humiliate them. Mm. But it looks like you've done a nice thing for them. They've gone on stage. They're accepting some award. Mm. Is that something for which people should be grateful? The answer is clearly no. The, the intention is all wrong. So trying to expect that a child of even five, six, seven, eight, nine is going to be able to do that I think uh, we're expecting too much. Mm -hmm. So in order to truly understand and express gratitude, you have to wait. But while you're waiting, things like, you know, saying thank you. And um, when a child has done something really nice for you, not just saying thank you in return, but saying, oh, that was such a good thing you did. I'm going to buy you a new book or, you know, something nice that you know the child would like. So in other words, you're reciprocating for what your child has done. So you start these things off early before the child can understand. Mm. And at that point, you can't expect that the child is going to behave in exactly the same way or think the same way. What you're doing is building the building blocks that with luck and a bit of persistence on your part will lead in the future to that child being genuinely a grateful person. And I think that's what we want it's always future oriented. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that I certainly didn't realize, and it can be difficult for parents to realize just the processes that, that go on in changing in a child's brain over this period are really incredible. And when we talk about understanding what other people are thinking, for example, we think of of course, people understand what other people are thinking, but children don't. <laughs> they don't. No, not yeah. at all. No, it's so hard for them. They think that everyone sees the world from their point of view, their yeah. own point of view. Yeah. And I, I love the theory of mind test on this. And so listeners can actually run this test themselves on their children if they want to. If you take a packet of cookies out of the cookie jar and whenever your partner or another person is out of the room and you say, let's hide the cookies in the fridge. And then you put the cookies in the fridge and you say, okay, when daddy or whoever the other person is comes back into the room, where are they going to look for the cookies? If the child understands that daddy has his own thoughts, they will say that daddy's going to look in the cookie jar because daddy didn't see us put them in the fridge. But if the child is not there yet, then they will assume that daddy knows the cookies are in the fridge because the child saw the cookies being put in the fridge. And they just, until they get to that point, they just cannot make the link that somebody else has different thoughts from them. That's exactly right. And so that's a, an easy thing you would think. Yeah. For the child to know. Of, of course he's not going to know they're in the fridge, right. stupid child. Uh, but, and you think about how much harder it is to work out what it is that someone is intending to do yeah. by giving you this thing. You know, that's a much more complicated yes. thing to work out. So uh, theory of mind is just a start. Understanding people's intentions. That takes a long time to develop. Yeah. Yeah. And also thinking, being able to say thank you right now is one skill, but 
being able to put that in the back of your mind and think when I have the opportunity, I'm going to That's repay right. this act. I mean, my child is focused on <laughs> what's right. happening right, right now. Right. <laughs> and even 10 minutes from now is a really long time from now. So the idea of storing something away, that piece of information until you need it, seems mind boggling at this point. Right. So then, you know, what we can do is sort of help with that too. For example, you know, your child's best friend has given her a really nice gift for her birthday. And now you're going with her to that friend's house for birthday. And, you know, oh, remember what she gave you? Wasn't it so nice? She was so thoughtful. What sort of thing does she like? You know, mm. what, what can we do that would be really nice for her to, as a way of saying thank you to her for that lovely gift that she gave? Mm-hmm. You know, so again, the child's not going to do it just off the bat. It takes a lot of time and encouragement on parents' part to get children to think these sorts of ways, to think, oh, yeah, that was really nice. I would like to do something. Mm-hmm. And something you know? that she would like and not necessarily exactly. that I would like. Yeah, because my daughter That's would just right. give everybody stickers for their birthday. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, of course, of course. Because she loves stickers. <laughs> Doesn't everybody love stickers? Um, yeah, I said there were several types of gratitude and verbal gratitude is saying thank you is, is sort of the lowest level. The next level up from that we call concrete gratitude. And that's when a child's got the idea that reciprocity is good. You want to give something back, mm-hmm. um, but what you want to give back is the things that you like. So, <laughs> you know, so what we've done in some of our research is to ask children what their greatest wish is. Mm. And then what would they do for the person that granted them that wish? Well, <laughs> the answer to the second question, really, really interesting. From the kid that says, obviously, I'd say thank you, to the kid that says, I give him all the sweets in the world. <laughs> <laughs> or I want to be an NBA star. Or I'll give him tickets to come and see every one of my games. <laughs> I mean, it's so <laughs> egocentric, right? <laughs> and but that's like your child wanting to give stickers. Because that's what she likes. You know, and at a certain age, that's great. You know, if if your child, I do something nice for her and she wants to give me her favorite teddy bear, I really should feel incredibly honored Mm -hmm. that she's willing to give up something so nice. Do American kids have teddy bears? They do, yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Then, you know, that is really nice and I should feel honored. And that is expressing wonderful gratitude. On the other hand, if a 14-year-old does that, Mm. I sort of look at that kid a bit askance. (laughs) It has to develop. What we want is for children to start thinking about not only wanting to do something for the benefactor, but what can I do that the benefactor would really need or like or appreciate in some way? Yeah. And so I was thinking when I read that in your book about thinking about what other people think and how other people feel. I try to, when we're reading stories or books, we talk about what other people might be thinking, what other characters might perceive, because we've been Mm -hmm. reading one at the moment about winning a race, and she always empathizes with the character who wants to win the race because she always wants to win. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about what the other characters feel, like the pandas who stopped to help the lion's car because the lion's car broke down. How would the pandas feel if the lions then went ahead and won the race? So does that kind of thing bolster a child's ability to take another person's perspective, or are there other things? that I could be doing that would be more productive. Hmm. I think that's really great, that notion of particularly the person that's not doing so well, 
It's easy to feel good about the person that's won, mm. the person that's got a lot of stuff. I think it's really helpful to try and encourage empathy with those who don't have so much. And I mean, I think in a way that's what the parents that try and take their kids who've got a lot to see and work with, volunteer with people that don't have so much, mm-hmm. you know, to try and, and build up a sense of empathy with other people. I think that's an important component of developing gratitude because if you don't have that sense for other people and just see things from your own point of view just in a very egocentric way and don't think about others then it's unlikely you're going to develop much in the way of gratitude mm-hmm. okay so in this show we always try and take a bit of an anthropological perspective as well and we ask are we the only people in the world <laughs> dealing with this issue or is this a cross-cultural thing and I think that you have looked at gratitude and the way it develops across cultures and I'm especially curious as to whether you see different experiences of gratitude in cultures where there is less perhaps rampant materialism than there is in our adopted country <laughs> yes <laughs> Yes, yeah, it's, it's particularly unfortunate. I think there's a tendency in American psychology and you know human development. Maybe it's a general phenomenon, but so much research goes on in America. So much research goes on with American families and children, many of whom are white. We don't look at the full range of diversity in the United States. And we look even less at people outside. And yet, when we write up our findings, we sort of act as though, write as though what we found is relevant around the entire world. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about, you know, adolescents are grateful for this. Uh, Five-year-olds are that. Forgetting entirely that our sample was primarily white middle-class kids from one particular area of the United States. And we're talking generically as though it's relevant to the entire world. And what we found looking at the development of gratitude in different cultures is that nothing could be further from the truth. Mm. That the United States, you know, it's not better, it's not worse, it's different from other countries. And, you know, how other countries develop and how children in other countries and adolescents in other countries develop is just not the same as the way they develop here. How is it different? Well, for example, in terms of the type of gratitude that we think is closest to real gratitude, what we call connective gratitude, in our samples of children from just one area of North Carolina, about uh, just over a third of the kids aged 7 to 14 expressed connective gratitude. Right? Mm -hmm. That's not bad. It turns out that Only in a Brazilian sample was it about the same percentage. In China, 70% of the same age range expressed connective gratitude. Mm. In Russia, it's something 58 or 60%. In Turkey and Korea, also very high. Uh, In other words, our notions of how gratitude can be encouraged and how grateful our kids are uh, seems to be quite different from what is in other countries. And obviously that has something to do with the ways in which people think about connecting with others. I mean, America is known as a very individualistic country. And in some ways, I think that's true. You know, we tend to think of Americans as always being out on the lookout for number one 
and how important it is to be first and top and so on. I think that ignores the fact that Americans, like every other country around the world, want their kids to relate to other children as well. So it's not like we're only individualistic and in other societies they're only thinking about the group. I think it's much more complex than that. But that being said, it's interesting to see that in countries that have been traditionally much more interested in focusing on the group rather than on, on individuals, just sort of developed children who are more likely, far more likely, twice as likely as those in America to express a sort of gratitude that takes other people into account. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it, it really does vary. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it, I think, speaks to the way parents socialize their children to be successful in their society. And Mm -hmm. along with that, I think we have to assess what do we want our society to be like? (laughs) That's right. Are we happy with this very individualistic approach or are there elements of a more collectively oriented society that could actually benefit us if we chose to go in that direction? Right. And I think, you know, many of us do. I talked a little bit about the lack of attention to diversity. If you look at Mm African-American families, Hispanic families, Asian families within the United States, compared to many middle-class white families, they do tend to focus more on the collective, the group, yes, rather than just individual factors. So it's not like, and, and even, I, mean, I don't want to be down on a middle-class white, <laughs> I'm one myself, <laughs> um, but it's not that even middle-class white folk are only interested in, in themselves as in, individuals. It's just to what extent are we willing to put the group ahead of, group interests ahead of our own interests. Mm-hmm. And I think the encouragement of children to think about others and what it is that they need, what it is that they've done for us, can only help. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm tempted to think that we can do something to cut down on materialism by trying to focus kids' attention away from the gifts that they're given mm-hmm. and focus more on the people that have been nice enough to give those things to us. So you know, when we tell kids, oh, say thank you to Auntie Sue for the nice gift, we're forcing the attention on the gift itself. Saying, oh, wasn't that nice of Auntie Sue? She spent so much time looking for a present that's just right for you. You know, Let's think about the person rather than the gift and try and help reduce materialism that way. Because I think that there is just no point trying to say to kids, you know, don't want stuff. <laughs> They're bombarded with adverts the entire day mm-hmm. and night, telling them buy, 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 want, want, want. Uh, so just saying to kids, you know, don't want, don't buy is not going to do the trick. But so what can we do? Well, I think one of the things we can try and do is just be more attentive to the people around us, what it is that they're doing for us and be a little less attentive on the nice stuff that they give us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> As a slightly unrelated aside, I was just reminded that my daughter is getting quite adept at spotting commercials and she likes to pick out what she thinks they're trying to sell us. Uh-huh. But if there's a picture of a big house in the background of somebody talking about something else, she's inclined to think that they're trying to sell us the house. 
<laughs> Very good. So, yeah, so you've already started uh, product spotting. Yes. You know, product placement design on the part of yes. Yeah, that's really good to do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, sticking sort of with that theme of individualism, I want to talk about why gratitude is important beyond the sort of social functioning issue, because I think there has been some research that's linked it to academic outcomes and life satisfaction. And I wanted to dig into that with you because I was wondering, are they just correlations in which case maybe there's no evidence Mm -hmm. that being grateful causes those good life outcomes, but perhaps good life outcomes inspire people to be grateful. How do we sort of tease that out? Um, we don't. Okay. We actually try and ignore that as much as possible um, for a couple of reasons. <laughs> One is, I think it's the wrong question to ask, actually. Mm. I think of gratitude as a character virtue or a moral virtue in much the same way that I think of honesty or bravery. These are all things that I think we should be trying to encourage in ourselves and our children. We don't ask you know, how do you score on, on a test of well-being? Mm-hmm. What? I mean, who cares? If you're a brave person, you're a brave person. And that's something that's a part of who you are as an individual. That's the sort of person you should be. If you're an honest person, then we want our kids to be honest. Of course we do. We want them to be honest as virtuous individuals, irrespective of whether they... Uh, score higher or lower on a test of well-being. Uh, personally, I think it's hard to be honest all the time. I think it's hard to be brave all the time. I think it's hard to be grateful all the time. In some in some senses, gratitude can be a burden. You know, you're reminded that so and so did something really nice, and you've got to be on the lookout for a way in which you can reciprocate. <laughs> That's it. not an easy thing. It takes right? mental energy. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so you know, maybe. You know, you don't end up scoring so high on some measure of, of happiness or subjective well-being or whatever. I don't think it really matters. As far as the research is concerned, what has been done is to show that people who are more appreciative of life are happier. Hmm. Sort of a well-duh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, that that doesn't altogether surprise me, does it? Um, <laughs> I bet somebody got a big grant to study that. <laughs> but yeah. Of course, what you can do is you know, longitudinal work. So you follow kids over time and you track, you know, how happy or how high they score in well-being and then try and encourage them to be more grateful and see whether that changes their level of well-being. And, you know, I think that there's been some good research that has shown that, yes, that does happen. How much the well-being changes is not great, but it's significant. You know, and every little bit helps. I'm not knocking it. I just don't think that what these people are looking at is actually gratitude, but they're looking at appreciation. Mm. They're not interested in whether people ever reciprocate. They're not even interested in whether people are thinking about another person. They can be thinking about their own health. They can be thinking about the sunset, the leaves turning, nice colors. You know, nothing to do with what I'm calling gratitude. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think you can get uh, movement on a scale that shows that if you, and it's not surprising, if you're encouraged to think more on a daily basis about those things that make you feel good, make you feel happy, like The fact that you're healthy, like the fact that you live in a nice house, like the fact that uh, your kids aren't using drugs, like the fact that it's not raining. 
all sorts of things. The more you do that, obviously, the better it's going to be. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that we should call everything gratitude. Okay. And my fear is that that's what's happened. A whole bunch of things that are in some way connected have been lumped together and put under this label called gratitude. And we no longer know really what gratitude is. I'm saying let's find out what gratitude is. I think there are some key components. And then let's try and see how we can encourage that in our children. I think if we can encourage children to think about others to think about what they can do in return, to build connections or strengthen connections between them and other people, that's what's going to help. Mm-hmm. And if it has some effect on their subjective well-being as well, great. But that wouldn't be my end goal. My end goal would be I would like to develop children who have the sort of character that I can admire. Mm. Hmm, that's a worthy goal. <laughs> it is a worthy goal, isn't it? Yeah. So and I admire my daughter, who's now thirty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. That because that goes to the final question that I wanted to ask you, which was actually conveniently also the final chapter in your book. So we're tying up some ends here, but that mm-hmm. chapter is about gratitude and education, and specifically related to teachers. And I thought it was a particularly insightful chapter because it really aligns a lot with what I've been reading about how relationships are so important in learning. And we think about the material being learned as the most important thing when actually it turns out that having a warm and even loving relationship with a teacher is incredibly important. And in that chapter, Dr. Kerry Howells of the University of Tasmania writes that instead of approaching an interaction perhaps with another teacher or with a student thinking, how can I get what I want from this person? The teachers could instead shift their intention first towards thinking about what they can give to that person. And I love Mm. this because I think parents can also take that idea idea and apply that shift to their relationship with their children instead of thinking, how do I get my child to do what I want them to do, which (laughs) I as a parent spend a decent amount of time thinking about, we might ask, what does my child need right now? And how can I help provide this? And so you answered my first question, which is, do you have children? (laughs) And my second question is, have you attempted something like this? And more broadly, do you think this kind of mindset shift would help us to improve our relationships with our children? Yeah, it definitely would. Did I do that? No, I definitely did not. (laughs) (laughs) Hindsight's 2020, huh? Yeah, it really is. Raising children is not an easy job. No. It's so much more challenging than being a university professor, I'll tell you that. (laughs) No, if I could do it over again, I'd do it differently. I don't have grandchildren yet. Roseanne, I don't want any just yet. <laughs> but if, I, <laughs> if I had some, you know, maybe that's why it's often the grandparent-grandchild relationship that is better because grandparents have a second chance mm-hmm. to do some of the things that they wish they'd done and hadn't done with their own kids. But I think you're absolutely right. I think Kerry is right that uh, one of the greatest things that teachers can do is try and build relationships, not just with themselves as teachers and their children, but among the children themselves. And I think trying to do the opposite of say thank you, say thank you, say thank you, but get children in a classroom to think about it. What is it that other people have done for them? You know, to reflect on the relationships 
among the children themselves. And in so doing, I think, strengthening the relationship between the children and the teachers, I think we all know that it's the relationship building that is so important. The learning will come much more as a result of a good relationship. You have a good relationship with the teacher, you're willing to go so much further yeah. to learn the material than if she's just trying to force you to learn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just was reminded of uh, having to learn French, which it's funny, I speak Portuguese very well. And I used to speak Russian reasonably well. So you might think I'm really good at languages, but I'm not. And I was hopeless at uh, Latin and French, the two languages which I had to learn at school. My dad forced me to take uh, private lessons. And this is really off the topic, sorry, but um, <laughs> the, uh, there, were, there were two people that, that he interviewed. One of them was a retired teacher of French. And thank goodness she lived a long way out of town and it would have been difficult for me to get there. So against his better judgment, he hired this uh, young woman just finishing her degree at Oxford. You know, I was 15 at the time. Oh, my goodness. I loved that woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I learned French really, really quickly. <laughs> uh-huh. With the noblest of intentions, I assume. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet, you know, you think about the teachers that you've had at school. Yeah. The ones that you've really liked, established your relationship with, they're the ones that you learn stuff from. Mm-hmm. So relationships will lead you to where... You know, as teachers, we want kids to go. We don't just want people to have a nice relationship. We want them to learn the material. But my goodness, they'll do it better mm-hmm. if they have developed a good relationship with you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, on that note, I want to offer my sincere thanks for your time. And if I can ever be of any service to you, <laughs> I do hope you will reach out and let me know. And uh, I, I will, of course, look out for opportunities where I may be of service to you and will bring those to your attention should I find any. Well, thanks, Jen. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for seriously for um, uh, reaching out to me, and uh, I've enjoyed talking with you and reflecting about some of these things. It's been good. Awesome. Thanks so much. And so, for listeners, uh, John's book, "Developing Gratitude in Children and Adolescents," can be found in bookstores or on Amazon if you must. And references for the show, along with a link to a booklet that uh, John has produced to help parents encourage connective gratitude in their children, can be found at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash gratitude. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Your Parenting Mojo. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes and sign up for our mailing list at yourparentingmojo.com to receive a free gift. Seven relationship-based strategies to support your children's development while making parenting just a little bit easier on you. For more respectful, research-based parenting ideas to help kids thrive, we'll see you next time on Your Parenting Mojo.